Hey everyone, it's James Crepia bringing you another edition of Ducks Confidential. Another relatively quiet week given the cancellation of spring sports, but policy decisions are coming. And before we get to that discussion, I want to formally recognize certainly last week was filled with a lot of individual accolades and recognition for Sabrina Ionescu, Peyton Pritchard in particular, and Ruthie Hebert and Satu Sabali got some recognition as well on the various All-America teams that were announced throughout the course of the week. Each organization announces their teams at different times, so we talked a little bit on last week's edition of the podcast about some of the All-America teams that were already announced, and Pritchard at that point was going for consensus All-American status. He captured that early this past week, becoming the first Oregon men's player to do so on a first-team consensus All-American in 80 years. So congratulations to Peyton Pritchard for that distinction. Uh, He garnered it from three of the four from the AP, from Sporting News, and from the Basketball Coaches Association. And the U.S. Basketball Writers gave him a second-team All-American recognition. So he gets consensus, first-team All-American distinction, which again becomes the first Oregon men's player to do so in 80 years. So quite a big deal for Peyton Pritchard. For Sabrina Ionescu, she collects a couple of National Player of the Year honors, one from the Associated Press, the other from the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. Both she and Pritchard are up for the Naismith National Player of the Year awards on the women's and men's side, respectively. UNESCO is also up for the Wade Trophy, which she won last year, uh, National Player of the Year award. That will be announced later this week. Kelly Graves, Oregon women's coach, also up for the Naismith uh, Women's Coach of the Year award. So some of those will be announced later in the week. And then, obviously, as uh, additional awards are announced on the positional basis, Uh, by the Basketball Hall of Fame and those individual awards like Point Guard of the Year, uh, Small Forward of the Year, those sorts of awards that are handed out uh, during the College Basketball Awards. Still looking for a final decision as to when those awards will be held, if they're going to be held remotely via ESPN, obviously at this point as all events, uh, even remotely close to college basketball season or what would have been the end of college basketball season have been canceled, suspended, what have you, but looking for just final clarification as to how they're going to handle the college basketball awards and when they're going to announce those and how those are going to be recognized. Clearly, there will not be a mass gathering of people uh, in Los Angeles for sure. Related to on the basketball front, uh, a little bit more on the fun side, uh, Advanced Local, which is uh, the Oregonian and Oregon Live, is one of uh, several publications, part of Uh, Advanced Local, along with, for instance, Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Plain Dealer, NewJersey.com and the Newark Star-Ledger, AL.com in Alabama, along with the Birmingham News, Mobile Press Register, and Huntsville Times, and a few other uh, sister companies, Syracuse, uh, Mass Live, Penn Live, several others, M Live in Michigan, all had uh, a collective effort in holding a mock NCAA tournament. Uh, on the men's side, and obviously Oregon was in it, along with many other teams, Michigan among them, Seton Hall among them, Rutgers among them. As you can imagine, given where many of the markets are for advanced local publications, uh, many readers and fans of those teams in those geographic areas, many, not all, admittedly. Uh, for instance, Michigan State did not make a particularly deep run for whatever reason, but Michigan did, Oregon did, Rutgers did, those things where you certainly have a lot of fans and readers in those areas who took part and supported their teams. Well, Oregon had made it through uh, to the Sweet 16 round to face Gonzaga. 
uh, early this past weekend. And it's all fan voting done online. The Ducks managed to uh, draw more support uh, than Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 round, so got a win there in the mock tournament exercise and faced Michigan, but came up short in the final tally on the votes between the Ducks and Wolverines. Oregon losing to Michigan 57.5% to 42.5% in the Elite Eight round of voting. So again, kind of a fun exercise, and we are hardly uh, the only ones doing it, but we are among uh, the many, and we had really quite strong participation nationwide uh, in running this mock tournament exercise. So I hope some fans got some uh, enjoyment out of some of that. Uh, certainly wrote a couple of fun little pieces on the hypothetical matchups along the way, but Oregon bows out in the Elite Eight round on that front. And lastly, for this edition of the podcast, before I hand over actually to an interview, I'm going to explain this a little bit. As we have discussed previously on the podcast a little bit last week, and, uh, and I've talked about this at length at various different points, the NCAA has a very big decision coming on Monday, uh, at least one, and it's going to be tackling several issues here in the coming weeks and months. Some were already scheduled, and then obviously everything that's transpired the last month due to the coronavirus has added to it, and it has not necessarily caused a bigger delay in other things. It's just a matter of sequencing of when certain decisions will be made. But the decision that's coming Monday, at minimum, is going to be addressing whether or not the NCAA grants additional eligibility for spring sports athletes whose seasons were cut short due to measures to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Now, with that said, that's the first major decision. There's been some reports that this they've already decided not to do so for the winter sport athletes, particularly men's and women's basketball, whose teams were unable to complete competition in conference and or NCAA tournament events. There has not been a formal declaration from the NCAA on that front, though nobody has refuted the one or two reports that came out previously saying that they had made that decision. It only stands to reason, given just the timing and plausibility of how you try to, for instance, how do you try to square when and how to grant additional eligibility for winter sport athletes for teams like, and we'll keep it about Oregon here, for the Ducks, men and women, clearly the men hadn't even tipped off in the Pac-12 men's tournament, let alone the NCAA tournament. The women earned the auto bid and were on their way to a one seed in the Portland Regional and probably the women's Final Four, if not national championship. That's those teams. Those are the extremes. But they nevertheless face competition whose seasons were completely over, including in the Pac-12. For instance, what do you do on the women's side for Utah or Washington State? For as many Ducks fans who may wish to see the day that Oregon's uh, athletes were granted additional eligibility, if they even wanted it, how do you do it for them but not for the teams whose seasons were absolutely over? They weren't going, forget about for the NCAA tournament, they weren't going to the WNIT, they weren't going anywhere. With coronavirus or not, they, were, they weren't postseason eligible, they were losing teams. How do you try to draw that distinction? From a practicality standpoint, it was going to be next to impossible. Then you factor in the timing of drafts and other decisions that obviously a lot of these athletes have to make these decisions under, and there was simply no way for the winter sport athletes to really come up with that. Now, for the spring side, 
this is clearly a bigger issue. All the sports are impacted in a very, very big way. Most all conferences had not even begun conference play. The Pac-12 had not begun conference play in baseball and softball, for example. The weekend that everything got canceled was the weekend that they were about to open Pac-12 league play. So it stands to reason that additional eligibility would be granted. The NCAA's initial statements indicated that the committee that had was coming forth with the initial set of ideas and proposals was in support of such an idea. But naturally, as time goes by, and we're not talking about a lot of time here, but as some time goes by and additional mulling and consideration and deliberation continues, it raises the question as to finances, for one, practicality, How do you increase the scholarship counts for things like, we'll keep it about baseball and softball. I realize other sports are involved too, track and field, swimming, lacrosse, et cetera, depending on which school. It depends on how big the department is and how many programs there are. But point is, there's a lot of spring sports. But for baseball and softball, we'll just keep it to those sports. For example, if you have 11.7 scholarships in baseball, which is an equivalency sport, as is softball, which has 12 scholarships, If those teams get to keep all their players an additional year of eligibility, well, you have freshmen who were already signed to come in and join you. What happens to those scholarship counts? Well, do you create a one-year waiver to allow for the seniors who would have been outgoing but are now going to be coming back? You allow for their scholarships not to count against that number? All right, maybe, maybe you could do that. That answers the scholarship count front, but it doesn't answer the financial component to the institution or to the conference, which that's, you know, understandably a decision that those, you know, every institution has to make on a smaller scale potentially. But also it comes into roster management questions because those coaches, obviously nobody was coaching with the idea that all those seniors would necessarily be back. Last component to it that still has to be determined after the NCAA makes its decision is uh, let's assume that at least the seniors are granted additional eligibility. If not all athletes, in a just world, it would be all of them. We'll see if it ends up being all of them. But if at least the seniors get it, these were college athletes whose athletic careers were coming to a close and were scheduled to come to a close. More often than not, their academic careers were also coming to a close, scheduled to come to a close. Maybe we're already graduated basically at the end of winter term and spring quarter weren't even necessarily going to be taking class or maybe they're already in the grad school program. Whatever the case may be, everybody's got a different situation. But point is, is in returning for an additional year, whether that's a fifth year or in some cases sixth year because you have redshirt seniors out there, including a couple at Oregon, well, what happens here? It's easy for some folks to say, well, they just get the additional year. What's the big deal? Remember, folks, these are equivalency sports. And what that means is they are not on 100% scholarship. These athletes, this is not football, men's and women's basketball, women's tennis, gymnastics, and volleyball. Those are headcount. Those are full ride. Those are full scholarship. Other sports, while a coach certainly has the discretion to award a full scholarship, more often than not, those are extraordinarily rare to find in equivalency sports because of scholarship allocation. You have to spread those out across the entirety of a roster. 
So for baseball, for example, you've got 11.7 scholarships for a college baseball team. Mark Wazikowski at Oregon has to spread 11.7 scholarships across a full baseball roster where on a college baseball team, you're going to have 30 to 35 players. And you've got to spread across 11.7 scholarships. Now, obviously, you have some players who are walk-ons, and that's like any team in the country. But point is, is 11.7 only goes so far, sooner or later. And you were counting on those seniors to leave and whatever their uh, allocation of scholarships to come off the scholarship payroll, per se, allocation, and then be reallocated to both the freshmen who are coming in and then juniors who would be earning potentially more or sophomores or however, which every program handles things differently. There are programs where everybody gets the same from the jump. There are programs that you start at a certain number as a freshman and earn incrementally more as you go through your college career. Every coach handles things differently. There is no uniform in this and and financial approach. But point is, is there's a lot of financial components to this, and the devil is in the details here. Well, the NCAA is going to make a ruling on whether or not to grant additional eligibility for the spring athletes. And while, again, they haven't made a formal declaration on the winter front, the belief and uh, assumption and a couple of reports out there is that the decision has already been made that the winter sports will not be granted additional eligibility, unfortunately, for those athletes. But for the spring, the question is, will they grant it at all? Yes or no? So one alternative is no, which after coming out and saying they would and they supported such a thing would be quite the reversal. If they do so, is it to every athlete, which obviously athletes and coaches, who many of whom have come out vocally uh, via social media over the last week, in particular on Thursday and Friday last week, with a quite a unified message, understandably why they're very much in support of that. Now, the other option is potentially to pare it down to only seniors. You could argue it any number of ways as to what makes the most sense, what's the most logical, what's the most financially reasonable and responsible. But ultimately, to me, this is a zero-sum issue. If you first believe that in terms of what is just and what is right, that spring sports athletes whose seasons were cut short due to issues beyond their control, and not by anything that wrongdoing that the NCAA did. They had to take the actions they, they took. That's clear at this point. Anybody arguing to the contrary is clearly missing the boat here in the big picture. But once that decision is made, it has to be made with the recognition that you have to do something to make those athletes, and coaches for that matter, but athletes first, whole. And the initial response was that there would be additional eligibility granted. Well, if you believed initially that that was the case, to reverse course due to some smaller conferences and schools that are already going to be lacking a lot of financial resources and going to be feeling the financial pinch due to the NCAA men's basketball tournament being canceled and the distribution of revenues from the NCAA being significantly less than what they were supposed to be. Well, I hate to say it, but you've got to do what's right and just and not what is merely what is financially reasonable for those who can least afford it. The system is bigger than one or two or three or five or however many small conferences may feel that way. If they Ultimately, they have to say, 
they have to fig- the onus has to fall on the institutions and those conferences and those schools to determine where to make the finances work. If they agree that additional eligibility is the just thing to do, then don't take it out on the athletes because you can't afford it as a small institution or small conference. That's not their problem. And ultimately, if you choose to go that direction, it will be used against them. And I think you're going to see a lot of those players go in the transfer portal and leave those smaller schools if it only ends up being for the seniors. If it's for all spring athletes, again, as was indicated, you had several spring sports coaches from around the country. I'm not classifying only what Melissa Lombardi or Mark Wasikowski or any of the other spring sports coaches at Oregon have had to say here. Across the country and across different sports, several have pointed out, hey, in baseball, we only played how many, depends by school, but roughly 15, 16, 17 games. Well, that comes out to about a third to a quarter of the season. And you have college baseball coaches pointing out, well, hey, wait a minute. In football, they just granted a four-game redshirt, and that's one-third of the regular season in college football. Well, my guys only played less than a third of a college baseball season. Sounds only right to me that we just call it a red shirt for everybody, whether or not we're, it's literally a red shirt. We're calling it the, you know, the coronavirus red shirt in this case. But be that as it may, it's additional eligibility. So from a philosophical standpoint, you can see where the coaches and players are certainly coming from. From a financial standpoint, clearly it's understood that the institutions, the conferences, the NCAA, hey, they're the ones who ultimately have to foot the bill at one level or another of this whole thing. But that's, that's the cost of doing business here. A major decision had to be made. There were going to be ramifications. Well, this is one of those ramifications. Separate and distinct from these decisions. The NCAA still has to address, for instance, the immediate eligibility, uh, to the immediate transfer eligibility uh, for undergrads, for the first-time transfers in the undergraduate level, uh, with instant eligibility in all sports, uh, including football, men's and women's basketball, for example. Well, that has to come up and be addressed. That's not expected on Monday. That is expected some point in April, potentially a little later. We'll see. The other is name, image, and likeness. That is expected in April. Uh, the initial eligibility, uh, immediate eligibility for transfers may get moved into June. We have to see. And there may be some additional announcements as far as timetables on all these decisions that also comes on Monday. A separate and distinct conversation that has come up and initiatives and proposals that have been banted around for a little while now on the local level in college sports that has to do with equivalency and sort of the issue that the NCAA is deciding here and announcing on Monday is should the equivalency model still exist? In other words, should baseball still exist with only 11.7? Should softball exist only with 12? Should swimming exist with whatever the number it is that they have and track and field and et cetera, et cetera, all down the list? Or since that system was put into play when Title IX was instituted and the pre-NCAA Women's College Athletic Association merged with the NCAA uh, right around 1979-1980, well, in reality, not much has changed for the equivalency sport athlete in the last 40 years. It's basically the exact same structure. There's something to be said for 
posing the question as to why and whether or not the entire system should be reconfigured top to bottom and recalibrated to tackle the question of basically if you're a college sports athlete in today's world, regardless of sport, you're dedicating a lot of time and energy into participating in the sport of your choosing. Why shouldn't you be on full scholarship regardless of what the sport is? Male, female, regardless of season. Why, for example, is women's volleyball or gymnastics or women's tennis on full scholarship, but baseball and softball and track and field, and but they're not. And that's not picking on one or the other. It's just it's pointing out the obvious issues that are in play and that not for not nearly long enough, not nearly enough people were posing that question on a regular basis. And if it ever came up, it really did boil back down to, well, how could we possibly readdress that? Where's the money coming from? Well, prior to current situations in the world, college sports was pretty flush with funds. And while certainly the conversation about the potential impact to the college football and NFL season uh, upcoming that the coronavirus may or may not have and the regulations and limitations as far as public gatherings and size of crowds and all the rest, we'll have months to examine that. I'm not going to go into a length about that here today. But clearly that brings up questions as to finances and things on every level in the long term. Ultimately, first issue is, should additional eligibility be granted? That's a yes or no. The second issue is, if yes, how do you pay for it? And to what level? And that is where the second conversation comes in. These conversations have been going on in separate and distinct, mutually exclusive silos. And from a logical standpoint, there are many people in the greater apparatus of college sports who would like to see these conversations at one point or another merged. Maybe it's not the right time now. Maybe there's so many things going on right now on March 30th and into early April that there's so many moving parts right now that it may be too much to tackle at once. But in the not-too-distant future, and I don't mean three and five years away, I mean this summer, and as long as there is a college football season, even if it's slightly delayed in the fall, as long as financially there is not a monumental burden on college athletic departments, the issue of equivalency sports and how to address them will come up and whether or not the whole system needs to be reconfigured needs to be examined. It's an important piece to all this. Extraordinarily so. So we'll get into that and we'll get into the ultimately the decision from the NCAA and hope to bring you some reaction from Oregon spring sports athletes, including, for example, Haley Cruz from Oregon Softball, Cole Stringer from Oregon Baseball, Kenyon Yovan, a fourth-year junior, but nevertheless was drafted a year ago, and could he be coming back for a senior year, senior season? In theory, uh, but we hope to bring you reaction from all of those athletes, whether they issue public statements or we hope to speak to a couple of them after the NCAA makes its decision. But we're going to actually end today's podcast with, and we won't, aren't going to make a habit of this all the time, as we're going to try and keep these two uh, platforms pretty distinctly separate uh, for myriad reasons. But 
as several of you know, I host a radio show on Fox Sports Eugene, the James Crepia Show, uh, Monday to Friday from 4 to 6 on 95.7 FM, 10.50 AM in Eugene Springfield. And you can listen online and via radio.com app and all sorts of other platforms. You can find it out there. And there's also a podcast for all uh, show audio and interviews, etc. that goes back many months. These are separate programs. On the show, we'll discuss other sports. We'll discuss Oregon State. We'll discuss other things in the Pac-12. Here on this podcast, we're going to really keep it about the Ducks 99-plus percent of the time exclusively. And if it's any mention of anyone else in the Pac-12 or Oregon State, it's going to be in reference to a conversation about Oregon. That's where the programs are going to be different. But when there is an interview on the show, one way or another, either on this podcast that's relevant that I could play on the radio, I'm going to do that. And when there is an interview that I have on the radio show that is of an Oregon player or coach of great relevance to the topic that we're talking about here on the podcast, we're going to bring that in as well. So the interview that I'm going to uh, tack on here at the end of this edition of the podcast is an interview I had with Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazikowski last week. It was approximately a half hour, a little bit longer, I believe. And we covered the gamut. And obviously, some of these things are going to be a little dated once the decision is made on Monday. But if you listen to this before the decision, and even after, frankly, you'll have a little bit of frame of reference and context for where Mark Wasikowski was thinking, what he was thinking about, where his mind was at, and where Oregon was in terms of the process early last week heading into this very big decision coming up from the NCAA. So we'll play that for you now. And we'll address the fallout of the NCAA's decision on next week's edition of Ducks Confidential. We welcome back to the program Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazikowski. We last spoke with Coach just two weeks ago, and uh, it might as well be two years ago, though, because, boy, have things changed since. We were talking about leading into a weekend series at UCLA, and uh, obviously, as we all know now, uh, that series didn't happen, and the whole season's been suspended since. So lots to go over with Waz. We welcome back to the show now. Welcome back to the show, Coach Wazikowski. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and I hope everybody's doing well out there and taking all these warnings seriously. Same, same to you and yours, Waz. Uh, right now, you were supposed to be at Texas Tech. Uh, you're supposed to be six games into the Pac-12 season and playing a pretty big non-conference series. That's where you were supposed to be. Let's go back to basically the last two weeks, though. Take me to that initial Thursday Two days after we spoke, games were being halted. Obviously, the NBA had its suspension of the season. But Thursday morning, you guys were supposed to be flying out to Los Angeles. Obviously, you don't. Uh, but other teams were on the road. The softball team was already in the Bay Area. They had to come back. The women's tennis team left that morning. As soon as they landed, turned around and came back. Then by day's end, the NCAA cancels everything. How did you go about just wrapping your head around those very frantic 12 to 24 hours as all of this is hitting you guys in just an absolute tidal wave of decisions that's all completely out of your control, but it's all coming at rapid speed. Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew, especially when you started seeing the talking heads on TV talking about the NCAA tournament and the Barclays and Billises and Dickie V's of the world talking about how, you know, it'd be foolish for them to have the tournament. You know, we knew right away. I mean, if they're, if they're going to be potentially banging – the NCAA basketball tournament, which is, uh, I don't know, a billion dollar or whatever type of an industry that thing is. If that was going to happen, there was going to be fallout coming our way. And so we started really uh, thinking about the realization that, you know, this 
getting on a bus to get to the airport uh, for this UCLA trip may may be a diversion pretty quick here. Let's turn around and get off this bus. We kind of knew that was coming, and sure enough, uh, uh, it happened, unfortunately. How did the, and when I say the team, not just the players, how did the entire enterprise, your assistants, the support staff, how did it, you know, managers, equipment staff, trainers, how has everybody gone about handling it in the you know roughly two weeks since? How has everybody gone about addressing this? Because we're all into uncharted territory. So just from your perspective as you run your program here, how has everybody gone about handling it since? Well, I think pretty well. I think the thing that, that, that at least the message they heard from me was real simple. Uh, you know, it's bigger than us, and we can get selfish and start talking about, you know, a lot of the issues that are definitely issues that affect us personally. But let's talk about number one. People in the world are suffering, and people in the United States are suffering, and let's get this off of the attention about why it's so bad for us, and let's start having a better perspective on – uh, on things. And so just trying to shift the focus off of poor me and onto, uh, you know, that there's a lot of people out there suffering. Let's have some perspective on this thing and, and let's worry about our issues that hit home later on when the time's right. But let's get our mind pure. And, and that's the biggest thing right now that I'm still trying to encourage our team. And we're having to do it now remotely because our team's off campus. We're doing it through Zoom meetings amongst other uh, tools. But you know, that's the one biggest thing that, that I just am broken right now as a man, a father, a leader of people, uh, you know, of young men that are looking for guidance. And yet, what do we get out of, out of folks in our own country, the highest ranking members of our country and the highest ranking media members of our country? The disaster that they're showing our student athletes and the people of the United States and the world is just absolutely despicable when you don't have people that just simply have respect for one another. And that's just the basic. And once you just start with respect, we can build. And to see what's transpired as a leader of just young men on a small scale of things here on University of Oregon's baseball team, to try to just understand that you've got young people listening to every word that's being said, old people listening to every word that's being said, and let's just treat people with respect and dignity first and foremost because, yes, there are some instances and some circumstances in the world right now that absolutely suck. And so instead of it turning into these negative things, how about we just start focusing on what we can build off of even when this thing finally does end, let's at least look at this thing and say we treated each other with respect and there was a great amount of learning that occurred during this time for our younger generations. An important message to be sure, and we're chatting with Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazikowski, as uh, obviously a lot, much has transpired in the college sports world, but the world in general, uh, and uh, Waz was certainly with an important part of that message here. Waz, for the players, uh, ordinarily, obviously, you're, you're a team and a program who, whether it was spring break or the you know finals week or et cetera, uh, that's just kind of, that's part of your season. Uh, you're, you're not a team who's taking a break ordinarily. So where is everybody right now, uh, just geographically? Has everybody gone home? Are players still in and around the Eugene Springfield area? How, how dispersed are people? Because ordinarily, like I say, your players aren't planning to take spring break or, uh, or go to the beach <laughs> somewhere. That's not part of the equation. You'd be playing baseball right now. So where is everyone? Well, they are remote. They are pretty much at home. And as a matter of fact, we just got word here just recently uh, in the last couple of hours that our campus, our facilities are entirely closed down now for student athletes. So they can't even go and work out places. So, you know, it's a real deal. They're, they're remote. They're back home. It is spring break for our student athletes. I can 
you know, one of the things I asked our guys was, you know, all we can control at this time is what's in front of you. And right now they took baseball off the table for us, and we'll deal with that. But now what you can do is nail your grades. And I was just so proud today as the grades came back in and as a team, our team GPA uh, was over a 3.0 team GPA. Uh, I was just so proud of these young guys to be able to finish what they started, to nail their grades, because, you know, that's going to be a carryover that's a long-lasting deal that, you know, at some point in time they're not going to remember how deep things were at this time and emotionally how torn people were. And for them to be able to handle that showed me some mental toughness and some discipline. Uh, so they're doing that. They're at home doing workouts that, you know, just like we're all trying to do. I mean, what are you doing? Jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, and uh, just trying to stay in shape and keep your mind right at a, at a at a really, really tough time, right? I knew that the uh, yeah that the athletic department had basically shut down everything from the uh, workout facilities and, and all their facilities. I know everybody's working remote at this point. I, I knew also at one point uh, athletes who still had to get some kind of semblance of treatment, injury recovery, those things, that that was available. Is that still there for those who may need that, or has that also been uh, suspended at this point? Because I, I can understand it. Most, most of them are home right now. Uh, I'm not sure about the treatment aspect of it, and I probably need to know that. We just got the word just a little bit ago sure. saying the facilities. And so, like, you know, they're referring to the baseball facility uh, more or less. So I don't know specifically about treatment, but I do know whatever's best for the student-athlete, they'll be in on and have been in on. I'm talking about the administration. They've really been <laughs> – uh, burning the candle uh, with hours put into this thing. What an administrator's nightmare. And, and just so proud that I get a chance to work with these guys, with Eric and Rob and, uh, you know, Jody Sykes and Lisa Peterson. I mean, these guys are, are really, really going above and beyond with the number of hours putting in and ultimately just trying to help the student athlete. And that's where we're at now. Now we've got all kind of different committee meetings and all our sports going on behind the scenes, trying to get the NCAA now uh, specific critical information by sport, to where we can help the, these people at the NCAA level with the right information to be able to make these policies about how these kids are going to be effective moving forward. Are they going to get a year back? Are they going to get scholarships? How is this thing going to look? And so that's what's going on behind the scenes now. you got a lot of coaches and all these different sports meeting behind the scenes and getting all this information to athletic directors, compliance peoples, and ultimately the NCAA to where they can make a good ruling on how this is going to shake out. That cues up my next uh, series of questions perfectly, Was and that was the obviously the additional eligibility question for players is to be decided. It's been announced by the NCAA. The decision's coming next Monday. So uh, obviously they had made their initial statements now a week and a half ago saying when they made the cancellation, the next day it was, we all agree there should be the additional year of what they call relief, additional year of eligibility for the spring athletes. They were determining what to do with the winter athletes. Sounds like there's no way to split that at them. It's just the winter sports. Unfortunately, there was no tournaments, but you can't grant eligibility to Sabrina and Ruthie, but not to the players whose seasons legitimately were over. How do you, how do you manage that? There's no way to, to do that on the basketball front. But for baseball, softball, swimming, track, etc., you have to. I mean, most all of you didn't even start your conference seasons across the country at this point, so how could you not grant that eligibility? What is your understanding of where, at least speaking just for Oregon and where you are in, in the meetings you're talking about with the administrators that you have, of just where people are in their accordance with, obviously I would think everybody's in support of it, but can you characterize those discussions as far as the additional year of eligibility for uh, for your players at this point? Yeah, I think every sport's going to be unique. Baseball's so unique, and, and our our mission is to get to the NCAA through, you know, Rob Mullins and through all the committees they're on. Uh, our our Pac-12 head coaches meet, met yesterday. There was a national meeting today. 
All that information goes to the ADs, and then they take it to the NCAA. That's what's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. The information we're trying to get baseball-specific to the NCAA is this. Our game is so unique that Major League Baseball draft is still pending, whether it's even going to happen or not, and that's a critical piece of our puzzle moving forward for our rosters. Um, What are juniors and our draft-eligible players, our seniors, are they going to get an opportunity to go out and play pro ball through the Major League Baseball draft? What are the recruits going to do? What are the high school players going to do? Well, and you've got and, one. Of, you've got one of them. You've got, I mean, uh, more than one, but uh, one in particular that fans know about because of football and Robbie Ashford. Who, if there's no draft, what happens? Well, that's a great question. If there's no draft, then there's potentially uh, Major League Baseball could potentially have a free agent signing type of a system, which would open up Pandora's box, and nobody wants that. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so we're trying to get away from that. We're trying to say, hey, look. You, the scenario of baseball, Mr. and Mrs. NCAA, you, we need to figure out if there's a draft or not before you start laying out all these rules about who gets years back and what roster sizes look like and 11.7 scholarships. Are we going to add, keep the number the same, uh, give people reprieve? You know, all these different issues with APR, transfer legislation. My big thing is this. I think what I heard on our calls yesterday was is real simple. For the seniors, it's, there's a couple of categories. One is the kids that were seniors. Are they going to get a year back or not? That's the first thing. And everything I've heard is everybody, everybody is in support of the seniors getting an additional year back. Now, that's not as clean as it sounds, though, because what if a senior's graduated mm-hmm. and doesn't want, to, doesn't want to take post-back classes, mm-hmm. but yet still wants to come back to, for whatever reason, for baseball, to be able to just play for Oregon or – uh, bolster his situation with Major League Baseball, or just because he flat out loves playing college ball, he wants that. He wants that opportunity to finish his his final year out. Well, how about those kids be able to do that on a different level? So instead of them following the traditional level or the traditional model NCAA focuses on, and that's taking classes means eligibility. Well, some of these kids don't want to take classes right now. They've already got their degree. And so isn't it possible? Can't we start thinking outside the box? Communities are getting hammered right now. Eugene's going to be hammered, small businesses. Can't we employ these senior student athletes in some way to where they can become the, the, the face of our athletic department working to the communities through community service programs? And those are widespread, small businesses, you know, whether it's local hospitals, uh, the education system, getting food out to these kids any way possible to employ these kids and whether they get paid or not paid is a different discussion, but even just be able to have them head some sort of an operation of a community service involvement, take these seniors and motivate their time instead of in the classroom because they already have their degree. How about we get them in some sort of field like that community wise to where we can strengthen not only our relationships, but empower these young people with an internship that's real life stuff, moving them forward after this year of finishing playing baseball, in our example, because that's what I am, baseball coach, but uh, be able to finish that internship model after one year, finish their play, and then move on either professionally with baseball or then into life. And now they've got a full year of real experience, whether it's paid or unpaid. You know, ideas like this need to be kicked around at the NCAA level instead of just trying to fit folks into one box traditionally where they got to take classes, because that doesn't necessarily apply for all these kids right now. And that's why we have on a coach like Wise at this time, because as these discussions are going on, yeah, it's important to get all these various perspectives and some of the things that are being discussed, because that, is, that there's a lot of valid points you bring up there, Wise, that, that, that have to be part of the discussion. It just has to, uh, beyond well, the obvious. You're absolutely right. It, and it sounds to me like, it, at least in the early discussions, it 
seniors probably are going to get some reprieve and get this opportunity. Uh, boy, is it open baseball's pan, Pandora box when you start talking about juniors and draft eligible players, or is it everybody on your roster that gets a year of reprieve? I don't see that happening. That opens up too many backlog issues with rosters, with seniors coming in, with the junior sophomore classes in high school that you've already planned and committed aid to down the road. You know, now you're really starting a backlog of players. Uh, and for a lot of levels, I don't know that that one's going to fly where everybody on the roster uh, gets a year back. And then here you go. Unless what happens if the major league draft doesn't happen? If it doesn't happen, then you almost have to look at that scenario and go, wow. Well, for these juniors now, we can't just make them seniors because they're losing all of their draft leverage in the major league draft. And if they go into the draft next year as a senior now, well, then they're going to lose all their potential earnings leverage, which is between 100 and 1,000% more leverage as a junior than a senior. And so to remove that potential earnings from a draft-eligible player at the college level across the board, not just Oregon, but across the board, boy, now you're talking about potential litigation from yep. uh, these, these athletes, uh, advisors, agents down the road where they're saying, man, you, you cost my client opportunity and money because of your legislation and not giving them a year of reprieve when the major league baseball draft did not occur. So, you know, it really is a scenario where you've got major league draft. Does it occur? And does it not occur? And without that piece of information, I really hope the NCAA does not rule on this for baseball specific until they get that critical piece or else, boy, there's going to be huge fallout. Oh, it's a huge domino. And you're right. The first decision will be the additional eligibility uh, and that comes Monday. Then the rest of the mechanisms, that's going to have to be determined in the months ahead because until they find that out, that's that's out of their control. That's Major League Baseball. Until they find that out, but you're right, it's a massive, massive domino loss. Chatting with Oregon baseball coach Mark Wazikowski. Besides the obvious financial implications to either Oregon or and or the NCAA of the additional uh, years of eligibility, and that's ultimately, hey, that's for an institution to, to worry about on that front. You're, you're, you've you've got to handle the, the fallout of it and, and manage your own team and roster, but you're, you're not the one paying the bill. Um, there, with the new scholarship count, whatever that may look like, what issues do you foresee, was in that, in terms of, you touched on a little bit, of roster management, because there's an argument to be had, and there's a reason why I asked Greg Sankey of the SEC about this, and when, when I first sat with you a couple months ago, I mentioned about this stuff with equivalency, because the SEC is still proceeding with their conversations and hope to have a proposal eventually, and I don't know if it's going to work in timing-wise, but because the whole system is going to have to be reinvented here and to address largely equivalency sports in the spring, there's an argument to be had that Hey, if we're even talking about the idea of reinventing the wheel and at, to any degree, why not just go that extra step and say, "All right, let's just handle it now." Baseball, uh, you're not going from 11-7 to a one-year exception to 12 or 15 or whatever. We're, we're reinventing the whole damn thing because if we're already talking about it, well, then let's go. Or <laughs> if, if these are two mutually exclusive conversations, let's have them together and expand that equivalency model for all the spring sports, but at all equivalency sports. And then you get into that. That alleviates a lot of stress on the system for everybody, for the administrators, for the institutions and for coaches like you talk about the roster management. You've lined up some recruits under the 11.7 model. But if it's 25 or 30, well, you know, it may take a little while to, you know, formulate exactly what you want it to look like in the long run. But if we're having those two conversations simultaneously, why not have them together? 
Well, it clearly makes sense, wouldn't it? But, boy, is that a lot to put on uh, an institution, an organization's plate. The NCAA is going to put this one on their plate after they're dealing with all the stuff they have and try to tackle this huge issue. I don't see that happening. I think it's too monster of an issue. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I just hope that they have some some feeling of let's get this right instead of let's get it done uh, with specifically baseball. I don't understand track and field. I don't understand softball, all those things. And I'm sure they each have their own unique twists. Baseball is so unique, it's nuts. And, you know, the, the, the biggest issue is the fact that, you know, you always want at the NCAA level, especially now with what's going on, I mean, hey, let's call a spade a spade. This thing needs to get fixed for college athletics. It needs to get fixed before fall because, my goodness, fall is football, and that's called the cash cow. And if it's not getting fixed before football hits, you're going to have a lot of fallout out mm-hmm. there. And boy, that's, you know, and, and it's, it's largely out of everybody's hands because, you know, this is something that, that nobody really has a feel for, as you can tell by watching the TV. But, you know, for me, until these folks get a handle on this thing and understand let's just get it right instead of get it done fast, I think that's probably their first step. And uh, I don't know. The model of college baseball, there's a lot of angles we can discuss. Uh, but the biggest thing, the biggest thing, and it's bigger than 11-7 and roster sizes and all the problems we could have by an additional class coming in. And, you know, you, you, you're not even losing any players yet. You're bringing in 15 more players. You know, that opens up Pandora's box of issues for us all. Bottom line, if you want to make money in college baseball, back the dang season up to where we're playing during the summertime. It's the boys of summer for a reason, and those parks would be packed if you had – college baseball occurring during the summer months people would love it they'd be able to go outside and be able to do some things all throughout the country not just in the southeast or on the west coast and the west coast isn't crushing attendance i just would really hope that if there's one thing they wanted to do and they said boy there's an opportunity to make money in college baseball let's just look at moving this season back and we could actually probably start doing that this year Oh, without question. This would be the easiest year to do it now, now that everybody's on the same page and canceled. Yeah, and we could start doing an abbreviated season potentially. I don't know when this thing, hopefully it ends sooner rather than later. But as soon as you start seeing this thing die off and student-athletes and businesses open again in the country, you bring these kids back and you put them in summer school. You can have these kids uh, get back into summer school, get their grades quicker, uh, get their graduation quicker. Uh, you can have, you know, business back open again in terms of practice, play. You can then have fall schedule to where you actually have fall games. On a traditional model, I'd love to see the season finished before you started fall baseball and finish somewhere around the end of July or the start of August. But still yet, we got an opportunity to be able to play some baseball uh, late summer, fall ball, have some sort of an abbreviated season, and spin this thing potentially into let's make some money in college baseball, move the season back, and have it during the warmer months of the year. And I guarantee you that would be a better financial model for college baseball than what we currently have. Last couple of things for you, Wise, and again, appreciate all the time, but there's so many issues to tackle. Uh, I, I don't want to leave anything, you know, any stone unturned here. We talk about the equivalency, and we talk about some of the, the seniors and, whether, and if they get the year and how they'd be able to use it. But because you're an equivalency sport, even if they get the year, even if everybody gets the year, sooner or later, whether they're a senior now and will be a senior again, or they're a junior going to be a senior, or a freshman and they'll eventually be a fifth-year senior, a family's still going to have to foot a substantial portion of the bill. They're not on a headcount scholarship. So do you have any indication at this point 
from some of your seniors, including fifth-year seniors like a Cole Stringer or Nico or Gabe or a redshirt junior in Kenyon, have you even had the initial conversations with these guys as they've, I'm sure you're all hearing the same things, you're talking about additional eligibility, but whether or not some of these young men will even be able to foot the bill because these guys aren't on 100% scholarship. Yeah, well, I don't know what other schools are doing, but I can tell you this much. I reached out to all my juniors and seniors, the draft kids and the seniors, and I told them, hey, whatever scholarships that you were on in the past, we're going to do that, and we're going to take care of you first. We're just going to put you at ease, okay? And that's what we've chosen to do just because I feel like that's critical. I want these juniors to know that you don't just need to freak out like the world is right now and, you know, make rash decisions you're going to regret. How about you just understand this much? From our standpoint, we're here with you, okay? You don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, sure, that could potentially end up, uh, depending on how the, the, the ledger stops with 11.7, well, somebody might not have money this year, this coming year. And everybody knows that with how the NCAA rules on this thing, there's potential of that happening. But for me, the first thing that needs to happen is you take care of your own. You take care of the kids that have gone to battle for you and are playing their tails off and showing up every day and doing things right and getting over a 3.0 GPA as individuals as a team and, and are committing to themselves to getting a program right and ter- doing a community. All the stuff, community service, all those things. These kids have done that, and our program's going to stand behind them first and foremost. The second thing is, is okay, well, when it comes to the budget of scholarships, how are they going to divvy this thing up? Boy, I don't know. It's opening up Pandora's box, though, in terms of, you know, are we going to have enough aid to be able to kick it around to everybody or not? Um, Huge, huge issues. I just really hope the NCAA listens to the committees, the information, and acts properly instead of, uh, you know, (laughs) too fast, I guess, right? Last two things I have for you was one baseball, one completely not about baseball. We'll, we'll, We'll do the baseball first. When this does return, and we all agree, we want it. We want it yesterday. I, I believe me, I, for everybody. I want to be back covering games. I want to be back at games. I want to be talking to you about your pitching rotation, not about all these you know policy issues. Believe me. But when college baseball does come back, what do you think it looks like as far as the in-game experience to the spectator for the product that you're? partially you know uh, tied to for putting on the field what does going to a college baseball game look like whenever this does come back well that's a crystal ball question i'm going to take a swing at it i think that when something gets taken away from somebody that they value it more you see this in your own kids so much um you know as they're growing up and they're getting older but when something gets taken away from you the things maybe you you uh you didn't value at the level that you should have uh, becomes really real and you start getting a grasp on time and the understanding that time is not infinite. There is a set amount of time that we all have. And so I, I think the perspective that our student athletes, staff, fans are all going to gather from this experience, is just going to unite us more. You know, I look at this as, as a huge opportunity. I know there's tragedy and there's going to be some serious tragedy from what it looks like unfolding before our eyes in the coming days, but still, I think the only thing we can control, and that's what we're going to focus on, what can we control? We can control keeping this thing on the thought process of let's make this a positive somehow, some way. And that's tough because you're going to lose life and massive amounts of life from what it sounds like. And so how can you do that? 
Well, you're going to need to do that. That's the way you do it. And you turn everything you can, every negative thing you hear, and somehow you got to make that into a positive. And I think that's what you're going to see when it comes to not only baseball, but Oregon football during the fall. I think you're going to see a massive, a massive release from people that are just excited about life and being together as people. Because right now that's, you know, after they threw everybody in the dang house and said, y'all got to stay there now for who knows how long, now people are going nuts. And now the government's saying, well, we can't operate this way either. Even re- regardless of how severe this uh, this virus is, we can't even do that now because we, we're starting to see the negative repercussions of that even. Uh, and just people aren't even allowed to be people now, which is, boy, oh, boy, they got a tough, tough uh, a platform of agenda issues that they're dealing with. And so just for example of that. How about we just respect that and understand, boy, that, there's some hard decisions out there, and boy, let's just be let's be above it. Let's turn it into a positive somehow. And once things do slow down, I just see this as a huge opportunity for Duck fans and college college athletic fans out there in general, just to really get excited about the teams that they get a chance to be able to to back. Because boy, this it's going to be a massive release at the end of this thing once people get a chance to be able to rally behind us all, and this gets behind us. Oh, I agree completely on that front. I think when, when whatever the crowd looks like, uh, whatever the venue, whatever the game, whatever the sport, that it will be quite the scene unfolding at every venue in America when it, whenever it does happen. But I'm not sure in the numbers because I don't know what social distancing is going to look like at that juncture. But we'll get you out of here on this, Waz, and this is the non-baseball question I have for you. It might be the most important, quite frankly. Let's go, yeah. You mentioned, obviously, you're, you're a father, you're a husband. We're talking everything about baseball in the program. What has the conversation been like in the household to your daughters? And I don't, I, I'm remiss. I don't know how old your daughters, Joel and Kelsey, are. But how do you try to explain to young people what's going on right now? Well, you can have any father and mother right now on, uh, can get on this call right now and answer this probably as good, if not better, than I can because we're all answering this question individually. I think the best thing, and this is just after praying about it, thinking about it, uh, seeking counsel and wisdom from others, I mean, the best thing is, is have the discussion. Like, just sit down with them. But, yeah, they can watch TV, but after they watch TV, don't just let them go to their room and just kind of fold. And believe me, by the way, these kids, they're way ahead of all of us. They got more information. They understand technology better than their parents and the older generations. The folks that it just crushes me. I talked with my mother earlier today. She doesn't even know how to access information right now through technology. The younger generation, they need guidance. They need to be told that through all of this, these are moments. These are simply circumstances that are occurring. At the end of these circumstances, you're still left with your core values. And what do those look like? Let's define those. What do you want to be known for after this thing ends? And are you going to live up to those standards and core values through your actions during this tough time? Because it's never about the easy times that you're going to get judged. It's about the tough times you're going to get judged. And when you self-judge, which is what I encourage my children to do, when you self-judge, or even the the guys in the locker room, when you self-judge, you look at yourself in the mirror. Are you doing a good job in dealing with whatever's in front of us with this massive catastrophe? And if the answer is yes, I'm going to treat others with respect. I'm going to treat them with kindness and love. And sure, opinions are always going to vary and be different. But still, yet let's start with just the basics. And that should alleviate a lot of the concerns that the younger people have because, man, if you just start with the respect, uh, the people of faith, well, there's a different level there, and I won't touch it. 
But still, yet yeah, you've got these basic core issues that I just encourage all of us. Let's spend the time with our young people on to make them understand that those are the keys. And even if our leadership and whether it's uh, media, press, any of those people, even if our leadership are ignoring these key core values, let's not ignore those things. Those are the elements of, and the beauty of it right now is you've got families coming together because they're being forced to come together. And that's just such a silver lining. You know, and if we can continue to build from family outward, that's the same thing we're trying to do at Oregon Baseball and build from family to community outward and build our brand that way. I think there's a lot of great, great lessons that as fathers and mothers out there, we can try to teach our young folk about what's going on in the world today. Just hey, love one another and have respect right now. That doesn't mean you have to just be a yes man on what's happening and what's being told to you. No. But my gosh, before you hit some button that sends a message out there that's just going to do damage, how about maybe we think about that one before we do that? And that's kind of what I'm talking with my crew about. Appreciate you as always, Wise. Thanks for all the time today and certainly all the messages on the baseball front and the program front, but certainly the bigger messages in life as well. Appreciate you as always. Look forward to having you on again, and uh, hopefully we can have a lot more fun conversation about things like baseball and get back to that sooner than later. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Go Ducks.